Victorian Periodical Parade. Welcome back to the Victorian Periodical Parade. Here again, we are reading from the April 18th edition of the London Journal, published in 1863. Here now, I shall narrate chapter 12, Still Missing. The September sunlight sparkled upon the fountain in the temple gardens when Robert Audley returned to Fig Tree Court early in the following morning. He found the canaries singing in the pretty little room in which George had slept, but the apartment was in the same prim order in which the laundress had arranged it after the departure of the two young men, not a chair displaced or so much as the lid of a cigar box lifted to bespeak the presence of George Talboys. With a last lingering hope, he searched upon the mantelpiece and tables of the room on the chance of finding some letter left by George. He may have slept here last night and started for Southampton early this morning, he thought. Miss Maloney has been here very likely to make everything tidy after him. But as he sat, looking lazily round the room, now and then whistling to his delighted canaries, a slipshod foot upon the staircase without bespoke the advent of the very Miss Maloney, who waited upon the two young men. No, Mr. Talboys had not come home. She had looked in as early as six o'clock that morning and found the chambers empty. Had anything happened to the poor dear gentleman? she asked, seeing Robert Audley's pale face. He turned round upon her quite savagely at this question. Happen to him? What should happen to him? They had only parted at two o'clock the day before. Miss Maloney would have related to him the history of a poor, young engine driver who had once lodged with her, and who went out after eating a hearty dinner in the best of spirits to meet with his death from the concussion of an express and luggage train. But Robert put on his hat again and walked straight out of the house before the honest Irish woman would begin her pitiful story. It was growing dark when he reached Southampton. He knew his way to the poor little terrace of houses in a dull street leading down to the water where George's father-in-law lived. Little Georgie was playing at the open parlor window as the young man walked down the street. Perhaps it was this fact and the dull, silent aspect of the house which filled Robert Audley's mind with a vague conviction that the man he came to look for was not there. The old man himself opened the door and the child peeped out of the parlor to look at the strange gentleman. He was a handsome boy with his father's brown eyes and dark, waving hair and yet with some latent expression which was not his father's and which pervaded his whole face so that although each feature of the child resembled the same feature in George Talboy's, the boy was not actually like him. The old man was delighted to see Robert Audley. He remembered having the pleasure of meeting him at Ventnor on the melancholy occasion of... He wiped his watery eyes by way of conclusion to the sentence. Would Mr. Audley walk in? Robert strode into the little parlor. The furniture was shabby and dingy, and the place wrecked with the smell of stale tobacco and brandy water. 
the boy's broken playthings and the old man's broken clay pipes and torn brandy water stained newspaper were scattered about the dirty carpet. Little Georgie crept towards the visitor, watching him furtively out of his big brown eyes. Robert took the boy on his knee and gave him his watch chain to play with while he talked to the old man. I need scarcely ask the question that I came to ask, he said. I was in hopes I should have found your son-in-law. What? You knew that he was coming to Southampton? Knew he was coming, cried Robert, brightening up. He is here then? No, he is not here now, but he has been here. When? Late last night he came by the mail. And left again immediately? He stayed little better than an hour. Good heavens, said Robert. What useless anxiety that man has given me. What can be the meaning of all this? You knew nothing of his intention then? Of what intention? I mean, of his determination to go to Australia, explained the old man. I knew it was always in his mind, more or less, but not more just now than usual. He sails tonight from Liverpool. He came here at one o'clock this morning to have a look at the boy. He said before he left England perhaps never to return. He told me he was sick of the world and that the rough life out there was the only thing to suit him. He stayed an hour, kissed the boy without waking him, and left Southampton by the mail that starts at a quarter past two. What can be the meaning of all this? said Robert. What could his motive of leaving England in this manner without a word to me, his most intimate friend, without even a change of clothes, for he has left everything at my chambers? It is the most extraordinary proceeding. The old man looked very grave. Do you know, Mr. Audley, he said, tapping his forehead significantly, I sometimes fancy that Helen's death had a strange effect upon poor George. Pshaw! cried Robert contemptuously. He felt the blow more cruelly, but his brain was as sound as yours or mine. Perhaps he will write to you from Liverpool, said George's father-in-law. He seemed anxious to smooth over any indignation that Robert might feel at his friend's conduct. He ought, said Robert gravely. For we've been good friends from the days when we were together at Eton. It isn't kind of George Talboys to treat me like this. But even at the moment that he uttered the reproach, a strange thrill of remorse shot through his heart. It isn't like him, he said. It isn't like George Talboys. Little Georgie caught at the sound. That's my name, he said. And my papa's name? The big gentleman's name? Yes, little Georgie. And your papa came last night and kissed you in your sleep, do you remember? No, said the boy, shaking his curly little head. You must have been very fast asleep, little Georgie, not to see your poor papa. The child did not answer, but presently, fixing his eyes upon Robert's face, he said abruptly, Where's the pretty lady? What pretty lady? The pretty lady that used to come a long while ago. He means his poor mama, said the old man. No, cried the boy resolutely. Not mama. Mama was always crying. I didn't like mama. 
Hush, little Georgie. But I didn't, and she didn't like me. She was always crying. I mean, the pretty lady. The lady that was dressed so fine that gave me my gold watch. He means the wife of the old captain, an excellent creature who took a great fancy to Georgie and gave him some handsome presents. Where's my gold watch? Let me show the gentleman my gold watch, cried Georgie. It's gone to be clean, Georgie, answered his grandfather. It's always going to be cleaned, said the boy. The watch is perfectly safe, I assure you, Mr. Audley, murmured the old man apologetically, and taking out a pawnbroker's duplicate he handed to Robert. It was made out in the name of Captain Mortimer. Watch, set with diamonds, eleven pound. I'm often hard-pressed for a few shillings, Mr. Audley, said the old man. My son-in-law has been very liberal to me, but there are others, there are others, Mr. Audley, and, and I've not been treated well. He wiped away some genuine tears as he said this in a pitiful, crying voice. Come, Georgie, it's time the brave little man was in bed. Come along with Grandpa. Excuse me for a quarter of an hour, Mr. Audley. The boy went very willingly. At the door of the room, the old man looked back at the visitor and said, in the same peevish voice, This is a poor place for me to pass my declining years in, Mr. Audley. I've made many sacrifices and I make them still, but I've not been treated well. Left alone in the dusky little sitting room, Robert Audley folded his arms and sat absently staring at the floor. George was gone. He might receive some letter of explanation, perhaps. Perhaps when he returned to London. But the chances were that he would never see his old friend again. And to think I should care so much for the fellow, he said, lifting his eyebrows to the center of his forehead. The place smells of stale tobacco like a taproom, he muttered presently. There can be no harm in smoking a cigar here. He took one from the case in his pocket. There was a spark of fire in the little grate, and he looked about for something to light the cigar with. A twisted piece of paper lay half-burned upon the hearthrug. He picked it up and unfolded it in order to get a better pipe light by folding it the other way of the paper. As he did so, absently glancing at the penciled writing upon the fragment of paper, a portion of a name caught the eye, a portion of the name that was most in his thoughts. He took the scrap of paper to the window and examined it by the declining light. It was a part of a telegraph dispatch. The under portion had been burnt away and the more important part, the greater part of the message itself remained. Alboys come to last night and left by the mail for London on his way for Liverpool, whence he was to sail for Sydney. The date and the name of the address of the sender had been burnt with the heading. Robert Audley's face blanched to a deadly whiteness. He carefully folded the scrap of paper and placed it between the leaves of his pocketbook. My God, he said. What is the meaning of this? I shall go to Liverpool tonight and make inquiries there. Here ends chapter 12.
And so there, we shall leave it for today. Continue to follow us at Victorian Parade on Twitter, backslash Victorian Parade on Facebook, and Victorian Periodical Parade on YouTube. Yeah, if you enjoyed this reading, give us a like and hit the bell. Now you can subscribe and then get notifications when we go live. And we'll just have a great time. So, have a good week. See you next time. Background music provided by Kevin McLeod at Incomputech.com Such as Circus of Freaks, Darkling, Night Vigil, Morgana Rides, Magic Escape Room, Space Jazz, Foxtail Waltz, Starting Out Waltz, Allegretto, among others. Victorian Periodical Parade.